BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So I thought we had big topics last week, Connor. Should we abolish the monarchy? Like, you know, we have the power here at this podcast to abolish the You don't know who's listening. Charles might abdicate next week, and he might say, Too Many Lawyers Convinced... This is how he sounds, but... Too Many Lawyers Convinced Me! I am a relic of a bygone era! That's a really good English accent. I say, chap... Um, It's getting better. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, well, in the 30s, uh, remember the king abdicated uh, because he couldn't live without the love of the the woman he loved. Sure. And then she ended up to be... Unfaithful to him? Yeah, these things happen. Yeah, it's kind of a high-profile thing to happen. You know what else happened recently? Uh, A a man who purported uh, purported to be the crown prince of Greece uh, made the rounds on cable TV shows this last month, uh, made, you know, five or six uh, appearances, uh, was asked questions by a bunch of big-name hosts, it got through all this vetting, uh, only for Greek people, of course, to say, hey, we don't have a monarchy. We abolished the monarchy in, like, the 60s, uh, and we are a constitutional republic, and this guy who is claiming to be the crown prince of Greece... Well, let me ask you this, was this John Travolta? Because I would say he is the crown prince, prince of, of Greece. Of Greece, Greece lightning. Absolutely. Yeah, the only, yeah. that's the only way you could... Uh, so, I mean, this guy title. got on TV, man, which is... A, that's the win in America. <laughs> All you got to do is get on TV, and then they give you a Kardashian spinoff, and you're set. You're <laughs> exactly. set. A reality show. So, here are our big questions this week. Uh, should we stop coddling religion? And we're, the issue that inspired the question is the, uh, the Hasidic Jews in New York City are getting all sorts of flack because they don't believe in, for example, polio vaccines. So polio is showing up in the water system, and there's an outbreak there, even though it's been, fortunately, thank goodness, essentially abolished in in America and throughout the world uh, for decades and decades. And also, uh, the sect does not believe in educating their kids. They want uh, public money to uh, help uh, educate them at their church schools 
or temple schools. And as a result, uh, because they don't teach their kids English and they don't teach the basics, uh, the kids are not prepared to enter society. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about whether we should just uh, doggone it, go ahead and legalize gambling. We've got all sorts of huge fights over propositions uh, here in California over whether we should expand gambling, uh, uh, Indian casinos, uh, the uh, the gambling, online gambling folks want it to, to be easy to um, to gamble with your uh, iPhone, uh, your smartphone. And finally, uh, we're going to talk about how you should not rip off the rich and famous. And finally, uh, guess the verdict, America's favorite game show. I will uh, hit Connor with a question about a case, see if he can uh, guess the outcome. It'll be the case of the skunk in the jury box. The skunk in the jury box. Ooh. Sounds very stinky. Love it. Okay, before we get to uh, this coddling uh, religion business, just a sort of an update on the gay marriage we've talked about over the last several weeks. Um, there's a gay marriage bill in uh, in the in Congress working its way through, and of course, it's inspired by the fact that when the anti-abortion decision came out of the Supreme Court, the Dobbs case, months ago, uh, Clarence Thomas uh, said in his concurring opinion, you know. Um, <laughs> For the same reason that abortion is not protected by the Constitution, a lot of other things aren't protected, like, oh, you know, gay marriage and uh, these uh, sex laws, the anti-sodomy laws. That's didn't not bring protected. up racial, interracial marriage. He didn't, he didn't want to mention uh, There's only so laws. much time in yeah. a concurring opinion, Connor. Yeah, so much, you know, only so there much There are only time, so many yeah. characters. You know how Twitter has a yeah, limitation character on characters? Absolutely, Clarence. I think Clarence. that's why he didn't get to that. Yeah, probably. Um, so uh, the Democrat leadership in the U.S. Senate has said, hey, guess what? If Clarence is going to threaten us, we're going to just preempt it. And lock it down. We don't need a, a Supreme Court decision saying, yeah, yes, gay marriage is still legal. We'll just pass a federal law that says same-sex marriage is is a basic federal right in America. Yeah, codify Oberfell. Obergefell, I can't pronounce it. Yeah. So the interesting thing, though, is the Democrat leadership in the Senate has made a decision now that actually could help Republicans in the November elections. They have decided, because they don't have the extra 10 votes to overcome before... Uh, a filibuster with a cloture vote in the U.S. Senate, they have decided we're not even going to take a vote before the midterms. And a lot of d- Democrats are saying, uh, Chuck, Schumer, um, why not hold the Republicans' feet to the fire? Yeah. Get them on a record or in October. Or some against gay marriage. That'll yeah. help me win. Well, exactly. Why not? And yet, apparently, the Democrats didn't want a loss on their record, and so yeah. they've decided to take the vote Afterward, yeah, and these are strategic decisions that you know they could go either way, right? Does have does having a loss on your record look bad? Does it look like Biden is weaker and the Democrats are weaker because they can't force things through? Does that weakness actually inspire your voters to come out and give you more votes and more reps? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It, it's a tough, it's a tough strategic call. I'm not sure. To me, the morally correct thing to do is to push this as fast as possible. And I think, unfortunately, the morally correct thing to do lines up with the strategically correct thing to do, which I suspect is put people's feet to the fire. Gay marriage is so popular in so many places that forcing Republicans to go on record and vote against it will help their Democratic opponents. That's my opinion. I, yeah. Is Chuck right and I'm wrong? Maybe. I don't know. Well, He's been right about some other things in the past. He's been wrong about a bunch of other things in the past. We don't know what his uh, thought process is. I'm, I'm guessing, though, that it's possible that he said to himself, uh, we don't want the GOP senators um, who did vote for it, who would support it, it, it say, in, in October, uh, to be able to crow about that during the midterm campaigns. True, that too. Uh, but, you know, I don't I don't know that that makes sense, because even if the vote isn't held, the GOP senators who like the bill, they're not still, they'd be able to say in the campaign they like it. You yeah, know, they maybe they're in correct. a purple state. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's... It, but they'll probably hard. just ignore it because, you know, to, it's probably to their advantage to campaign on items that are invigorating to their base, which is to say things like um, uh, we should enact a coup and, uh, you know, hang Mike Pence and all the other things that they probably right. enjoy. So uh, one other topic before we get to the big topic about coddling religion. Um, I've come up with a solution to the problem of biased judges. Coming. Oh, good. Yeah, I've been ranting. Oh, this is fantastic. Know. Yeah, I've been ranting for weeks and weeks on this on this Months. podcast. Months, years, maybe, about the problem of biased judges. The fact that you can, with virtually one hundred percent certainty, success rate, predict how a judge will rule on a high profile or a political case based on the political party of the governor or president who appointed the judge. Now, this fuss uh, over the Florida special master in the Trump raid cases mm -hmm. kind of inspired my solution. Yeah. In that special master case, the way the federal judge picked the special master to review the documents for privilege issues is that she, the federal judge, invited both sides, Trump and the Department of Justice, to submit a list of, of candidates for this person who would be the arbiter. Uh, I know some people don't like special master because that sounds like a, a vestige of slavery. Sure. And, uh, yeah, please give me a break. But anyway, that's a different topic. <laughs> Anyway, the, uh, the, both sides, I think, understood that this judge was going to pick people who are, have, to, have to be highly respected and uh, for their objectivity and their intelligence and fairness, because I think the federal judge indicated, I'm going to pick one. Yeah. Of, of the people. Yeah. And so it's kind of like baseball arbitration sure. where you have two sides having a number and the arbitrator is going to pick the, the one that's closest to being reasonable. Yeah, so, so that incentivizes both sides to come up with the most reasonable candidate so that the arbitrator, the person in the middle, yeah. will pick their number, which is still going to be tilted way towards them. And so sure enough, in this uh, Trump uh, special master case, she, she wound up selecting uh, a semi-retired, he's all close to full retirement, but he's highly respected federal judge who was on Trump's list, but the Department Department of Justice said, hey, we like this guy. So here's my question. Why can't we pick all judges like this? First, you assemble a group of people in a jurisdiction, and the group would be half Democrats and half Republicans, lawyers, prominent lawyers in the, in the various areas. The two sides would be told, assemble the names of a bunch of candidates to fill judicial vacancies. And the two groups would pick their list from among you know respected, intelligent, objective lawyers in the community. Then those names would go before a, a different group uh, of uh, Democrat-appointed judges and equal number of Republican-appointed judges. And these two groups would be told, you go into a room and you pick from this list that was provided by the lawyers. And you have to come uh, to a, a majority vote or we're not letting you out. You can't have a ham sandwich. And that way, I think you'd have a much better pool of people as opposed to just folks who... Oh, well, the president appointed him because the president's chief donor said, I really like Joe. Yeah. And so put Joe on the bench. A any way that we have that obfuscates, uh, the, not obfuscates, that dilutes the power uh, of a partisan to pick a partisan hack to be a member of the judiciary is a good thing. And I think you're right that, that these mechanisms exist to um, end up with people who are closer to the ideological middle on a spectrum for for that exact reason uh, that that the for the structural reasons that you describe where you have people motivated to pick someone in the middle that is not an automatic safeguard that proves that this person um, uh, will make the uh, the right decision in this case because I think often partisans make the right decision in that case because they're informed by their partisanship and their partisanship on this issue happens to be correct 
I think that our our concept of we should do some sort of baseball arbitration uh, with judge picks or uh, authority figure picks or whatever else, where we arrive at somebody closer to the middle on the ideological spectrum, is a bias, the result of a bias towards the middle on the ideological spectrum. Because while you are a conservative guy, and you have even have some libertarian-leaning tendencies in many ways, you are generally a middle-of-the-road guy who wants to see both sides of arguments uh, and generally thinks the status quo is a pretty good thing and thinks that change should be incremental uh, you know, in order to preserve the good parts of the status quo and not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that sort of thing. That is a bias. Yep. Now, it's not a bad bias, necessarily. It might even be a really good bias. But it is a bias, and we got to recognize that. In the same way that partisans on either side are extreme people, January 6th, you know, coup doers, and uh, people on the far left who want to bomb fossil fuel infrastructure because it's the only way to prevent mass death uh, in the next couple of decades, they are both extreme and on certain issues, they might be right. Like, I don't know, bombing... Uh, Fossil fuel infrastructure might be the only way to stop 1.5 degrees of warming. It's not going to happen, and it wouldn't even if it tried, but it might be the only outlandish way. And you know what? A coup to overthrow uh, a, an evil bad government might be the only way to do that. Neither of those people are correct, in my opinion. I don't think that we should be bombing you know, shell stations, and I don't think that we should be enacting coups uh, on, on the White House. But it's a bias for us to say that the person who's the most in the central, the, the Ken Bone of the American <sighs> judiciary, the Mr. guy red in the, sweater. the red sweater at the, the presidential debate before Hillary and, uh, and, and Trump went at it for the last time, like a week before the presidency, the presidential election, who's got his microphone in front of him and goes, I just don't know who I like better, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. I just waffle. I go back and forth. Now, you've I say, mentioned. Well, I, I really like the, the Trump part. And I really like the Hillary. So we can see that the person in the middle might not be the smartest, sanest person. That may be, might be the dumbest guy in the room. You've mentioned Ken Bone a few times on the I podcast. I'm wondering if you are concerned uh-huh. the, about the possibility that of all the people in North America, you're the only one who remembers Ken Bone <laughs> and his red sweater. Really? I love Ken Really? Bone. Do yeah. not let Ken go dark quietly into that good night. We, we must keep Ken Bone's memory alive yeah. as a burning, shining example in the darkness of when uh, when not bipartisanship and, and nonpartisanship and middle of the roadship proved itself to be stupid as heck. This guy is the living proof that the middle of the road is probably dumb. Connor. And guess what? When you drive down the middle of the road, you get hit by cars on both sides. If Ken Bone were really a substantive person worthy of recollection, don't you think he'd have a podcast by now? He probably and does. I, 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 we're going to hey, check that. We should uh, get Ken Bone on the pod. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe. If, he, <laughs> if he's still you know, alive and well. Uh, no, I, uh, you know, I hear what you're saying about the judges, and you, know, you and I have a healthy difference of opinion about that. I just think they should be smart and objective. But... I hope that everybody adopts my approach, and I hope they call it, you know, uh, Royals Judge Picking Rules. Yes. Because uh, I'd like to get Anytime, a credit. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do it. All right. Uh, when we come back, our first topic, our first big topic, should we stop coddling religions that give their kids polio and don't teach them to read? But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you prefer. That's probably Apple Podcasts statistically, but it could be Stitcher or Spotify or a podcast addict on uh, Android or any other 
Uh, and while you're there uh, at the podcast page, don't forget to hit the like button or the subscribe button or the join button, depending on the platform, and leave us a little comment, too, and a rating. Give us five stars. Tell us about how great we are. We'd love it. Uh, and uh, we, we read every single comment. So uh, please leave us another. What about this to induce uh, comments, Connor? What if we said that uh, we will pick the, the best comment, Ooh. the best comment uh, of the next, read it the next month and read it on air and award a $10,000 prize Wait, hold up. to the author of the best comment, assuming we feel like it. Oh, sure. Actually, no sure, obligation. Sure. And sure, we, may, sure. we may decide not sure, to give sure, anything. Sure. But we might yeah. give $10,000 to the best comment. What I'm do gonna, you think about that I'm going to waste an entire month posting pseudonymous comments <laughs> about how great Royal and his opinions are. Just like praying. It. Just praying that you get drunk one night but and remember, go through those comments. But remember, we have an escape clause. Yes, we do. We'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. Should we stop coddling religions that give their kids polio and don't teach them how to read? Nicole? Yes, conversation. Done. We're good. We're done. We figured it out. I mean, obviously. Well, it's a yeah, tough problem. These I are Siddic schools in New York City. Is it, though? Well, I don't think it's terribly tough in terms of uh, whether or not we should uh, put up with it and give them funding. They're very powerful politically yes. in, in New York City and New York State. Uh, and as a result, um, you know, the mayor, the new mayor, Adams, has, has been uh, very friendly toward them. And they've been allowed to operate, uh, teaching kids within their community uh, with a curriculum that does not include English. It does not include the basics you need to, to deal with the outside world because the, you know, the parents don't want the kids going to the outside world. But there are two problems. One, really, should we be helping them financially at all? And secondly, should we be insisting that children, you know, five, seven, eight, ten, right. they're entitled to get their polio vaccine and they're yeah. entitled to learn how to speak English because we're here in America and if they want to succeed, then they're going to have to know English and they're going to have to know basic arithmetic. We and have basic and so standards for public schools and private schools. And this New York Times uh, investigation that you know has produced this conversation that has, of course, been ravaging uh, across the media generally and people have been writing op-eds about it everywhere uh, and about how difficult a question it is. And I don't think it is a difficult question. I think that you enforce the standards for public and private schools and you stop, as you put it, coddling religious groups. You stop telling them that it's okay to uh, segregate uh, schools by gender and then treat one of the genders much worse. In this case, it's men, actually. A lot of the boys are being kept in this perpetual cycle of dependence on the Hasidic Jewish community because they don't get taught the things that they need to get taught to be able to go out and earn a living or go to college somewhere else and choose another way uh, and be less religious if they want to. Instead, they're so trapped by these religious schools that they have no choice but to, you know, go back in and prop up this house of cards for this 
super tight-knit insular uh, community that doesn't want outside interference, but does want over a billion dollars from New York State for assistance in running its private schools. Because private schools in this country get government money all the time. And they also benefit massively from the educational standards that are handed down to them, the educational materials and the advice about those materials and the training that they get for teachers that get churned out by our educational systems that they can then hire to teach their kids. They get massive benefits from being part of the society and they then want to turn around and say, actually, we don't benefit at all from society, but I want your billion dollars. It's, it's completely unfair to the kids who are trapped in this terrible cycle. And it is an example of how religion, unfortunately, will creep in and establish itself as simply a normal way of life. People have different ways of life. They're religious or they're not. It's fine. It doesn't, doesn't hurt anybody else. And then it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. And by nature of it, by the nature of asking somebody, asking a whole population, in fact, so there's nobody even there to check and balance you, asking an entire population to blindly believe, to sign on and say, I'll accept whatever you say on blind faith. I won't criticize it. It's not about democracy. It's not about the, the marketplace of ideas. It's not about the, the cream rising to the top. It's just about what people thousands of years ago wrote in a book. Uh, and th that is the nature of religion. No matter what religion it is, you know, Jews, Muslim, Christian, Hindu, Buddhist, all of them. Well, not so much. Some of them, but but there, there are right. some more extreme examples of it. Scientology, they're all basically the same thing. And unfortunately, they inevitably lead this direction. They don't all go this direction necessarily, and they don't all get there at the same time, but it's dangerous. You've got to think, should we be allowing people to force religion onto children? Should we be allowing people to force religion into Places of learning like schools, or should there well, you know, you don't, people you be don't forced? Question, you don't question the right of a parent to say to the five-year-old, okay, Timmy, we're going to church on Sunday, the Methodist church, and uh, every single Sunday uh, we're going to go. You don't question the right of the parent to do that for I, the next seven or eight years, do you? I don't question the right of a parent to instill their ideas about right and wrong in the world and how it works and who are, you know, how, how to live and uh, how, to, how to govern oneself and a, a sense of morality. Parents instruct children and th have throughout history, and it's worked okay, uh, I guess, except for all the murder, uh, for all of human history. Uh, but, and religion is just a natural extension of that. But the more that religion creeps into the public square and affects the way that we say collectively have decided, hey, children in our society need to be educated in on a variety of topics. Here are those topics. What sh in, in what way shall we do that? Well, we've got homeschooling, we've got public schools, we've got private schools, we've got charter schools, we've got this, we've got that. I, the more that you allow religion to creep into that system and say, hey, while you're teaching them math, how about you teach them about our Lord and Savior Jesus? Or how about you teach them about Scientology or whatever else? And we, we draw a line somewhere and we say this, you know, is not material we should be teaching in a, a school. We don't want religion in public schools. Boot them out. But we will allow public money to go to private schools where religion is taught alongside or even in supremacy to actual fact and, and stuff that's, you know, really useful. It, it, that is the slippery slope that we're on and have been on forever. And, and human history, is, it's not like this is a solved problem. It's not like I am here to say, well, you only have 13% religion in your schools and your private in your private schools you get public funding over 13% and that's too much and the kids' brains get poisoned. I mean, do I think that? Yeah, kids' brains get poisoned all the time, but they get poisoned by watching, you know, so keeping I, up with the Kardashians. So who cares? Yes. It's no big deal. I mean, I'm beating up on the Kardashians <laughs> on this podcast, but like, 
it's a really tough decision, and the decision that has to be made is you know, on this spectrum of how much do we help these insular communities who want to run their own religious private schools with money if they are not going to follow the standards? And at one point, we have to go in and say, look, you got to follow the standards or we have to shut this school down. And these kids have got to go to a, I, I don't know, a, what would you call it, a real school. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this, because I, I thought you would be tougher on, on the religion angle here. Uh, hypothetical. You're, hypothetical. You're a lawyer. You're I, sitting I in your office. It's true. And Sometimes. in comes a prospective client, Little Timmy. Little Timmy. Hi, hi, Mr. Oaks. Yeah. Uh, my name's Little Timmy, yeah. and I'm 11. Mm-hmm. And I was watching Bill Maher's uh, podcast, Club Random. <laughs> Timmy's got problems. I love Club Random, and I've been listening to Bill talk about religion. He's convinced me. I am now agnostic. My parents insist on dragging me to church every Sunday. I would like you to represent me, Mr. Oaks. Uh, I'd like you to get a court order, making sure they can't drag me to this evil church, because mm-hmm. Bill is right, I am an agnostic. Mm-hmm. You take the case, or do you say, eh, get out of my office, Timmy? I explained to Timmy that I American... got I got a mortgage to pay, and I don't think your little allowance for your paper group money is going to do it. <laughs> the American legal system, Timmy, uh, is uh, designed to uh, maintain the status quo power structure, maintain the wealth of those currently in power. I don't by want holding a political wealth. lecture. I want a lawyer. Is, are you in I, or are you out? I, uh, Timmy, I'm out because the legal system <laughs> just... <laughs> Timmy, does not, the legal system has no remedy for you. You are oh, not... My you, last hope. I'm very... <laughs> I've been turned down by a dozen so-called lawyers. Yeah, exactly. Look, Timmy, uh, we live in a society, as they say. We live in a society where uh, parents have dominion over children for many years, and they're going to make those decisions for those kids because often adults are in a better position to make decisions than kids are. Not always, but often. It's a good rule of thumb to go by, but then we have lots of exceptions to it. Do I, Connor Oaks, think that kids should have to go to church? No. In fact, I think the world would be a better place if kids weren't allowed to go to church until they were 15 or whatever, and they could start making their own dumb decisions for themselves and sign up for whatever stupid religion they feel, you know, inspires them at 15, whether that's Tony Robbins or Scientology or Christianity. Mr. Mr. Oaks, you can take your rule of thumb and you can shove it where the sun don't shine. (laughs) Timmy, I'm out of here. Where did you learn this language? Bill Maher, okay? That's the answer, yeah. Absolutely. All right. I think we resolved that issue pretty darn well. Not for Timmy, but... Hey, when we come back, why don't we just legalize gambling? What do you say? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Laura Lopes. And I'm Connor Oaks. Oh my gosh, Connor. Prop 26 and Prop 27 in California. Yeah. They have unlimited uh, funds to yeah. buy TV ads. Yeah. I, every time I turn TV on, has been like this for weeks. 
just these ads are barraging, barrage of ads. So Prop 26, if you haven't followed all the minutiae here, basically says that uh, Indian casinos have certain rights in California. Uh, the Prop 26 would expand those rights, you know, additional games and, and just a lot more money coming in at those casinos. That's Prop 26. Prop 27, on the other hand, is a little different. That's sponsored by the folks who would love it if you would just pick up your smartphone and make a bet every minute of every day. You can't always do that. Uh, there are limitations on it, but all the sports betting people. So these are two dueling propositions. Right. And uh, so the question I, I started thinking when I'm seeing all these ads, why don't we just legalize it? We allow alcohol and, and cigarettes and, and all sorts of other things that, that some folks don't like. Uh, you know, people have said, well, what about the negative impact of, of gambling and so on? Yeah, I guess you have to look at it. But, you know, uh, it, you know, if Hasbro sells an exploding slinky, you know, that's a negative impact. Take it off the market. But I think a lot of libertarians say, you know, let the market system work. Uh, you know, why not just let people uh, gamble? If se- you know, if selling, if you talk about legalization of drugs, if selling drugs turns society into zombies, okay, well, that, that's existential. You know, the, the Chi-Coms can easily defeat a nation of stone zombies. But in general, society doesn't have the right to tell you how to spend your time, whether it's drinking True. or smoking or gambling. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, we draft you if we we consider our need for soldiers existential. We imprison you if you harm somebody. Sure. But you should be free to do what you want, whether it's smoking or drinking or gambling or cussing, unless you injure somebody or pose, you know, a, an existential threat by not being in the army. So why why don't we make a big push to just legalize gambling, whether it's the Indians or the uh, uh, the guys who run Sin City in Vegas? Yeah, I mean, this is a uh Obviously, we've had a creep that uh, that uh, people who are aware, especially in sports uh, and sports fans, have been more and more aware over years now that um, sports betting and sport-related gamb- gambling and fantasy sports and daily fantasy sports, and then it creeps and creeps and creeps, and now it's it's pretty much just gambling. Uh, it's basically legal in California, uh, even though it is not actually on the books legal. Um, and, no slot machines. Right. Yeah. No, and there are no all these restrictions. Uh, look. This is, in my mind, the way that we the way that we have uh, rules on um, <clears throat> the age at which you can smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol, the age at which you can partake in gambling, the age at which you can drive a car, the age at which you can you know vote, the age at which you do things that have really big impacts, not just on yourself but on others, because driving a car or uh, imbibing addictive substances like drugs and alcohol. Um, uh, or in, engaging in addictive activities like gambling has effects on, on a population level. As you pointed out in your uh, somewhat dated Cold War reference uh, <laughs> uh, that the, the Chai Coms, Chinese communists, might be I was just trying to save time so you'd have more time to talk by yeah. cutting down on the syllables. Yeah, okay, no, excuse very, me. It's very efficient. Um, Thank but, you. Thank you very much. To me, uh, talking about which kinds of, of table games or, or dice games or uh, sports wagers or whatever else uh, different uh, Indian gaming casino organizations are allowed to, to offer or other properties are allowed to offer um, or uh, companies that, that deliver gambling to your phone uh, are allowed to offer, I, I think that 
it's a reasonable thing to pass laws in the same way that we have age restrictions. It's a reasonable thing to say this kind of gaming is potentially really disastrous and dangerous, and it's really easy to get addicted to, lose your life savings But to. isn't that dodging the issue of whether you know, we should be free to do what we want to say, well, we're going to have this game but not that game, or 18 or 21? But think about a person who who is the kind of person who's susceptible, and probably a surprising number of people are, susceptible to the... Uh, dangers of addiction. What about alcohol? Oh, absolutely. We sell alcohol, even though we know what alcoholism does to the yeah. per, the drinker, the family, the society, yeah. the victim of the accident. And absolutely. Yet, and yet we just sell Budweiser all the time. Yeah, and 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 we have AA. Yes, and government sponsored help and so on. I mean, AA is hardly government sponsored no, help. No, you can be required. separate separate yeah. from AA. You've got health. horrifyingly, you have judges who, you know, after you know, a DUI or a drunken disorderly in public or whatever, you get sent mandatory appearance at. An AA meetings where they teach you religious garbage uh, to, you know, as a callback to our previous story here, dangerous. Uh, not, we don't have good systems set up in place. And that's kind of the reality is, is I, you know, we don't want to let the, the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. But we, it's, we live in a society that, that has certain attributes. And those attributes are people are in control of their personal finances. People are susceptible to uh, engaging in gambling uh, that can be ruinous to them financially. And if somebody does engage in gambling that is ruinous to them financially, they can also ruin other people's, their friends and relatives and other dependents' lives. And we know that there are a lot of people out there who are very susceptible to this uh, sort of addiction. And we think that by modifying the kinds of games that everybody is allowed to play and thus you know, lowering the overall net negative freedom in the world, negative freedom being the freedom from restriction, right? The, 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 the right to go out and do things, that's one kind of freedom. We can increase the freedom, uh, the, the positive freedom, and not to put you know, negative and positive connotations on negative and positive freedom. Negative freedom is good. You know, restriction from uh, uh, the boot of the government on your neck is a good thing in, in some ways, but positive freedom is good too. If you know that you're going to have food in your belly tomorrow, you have the positive freedom to, you know, start a business uh, or whatever, right? If you have rich parents who can sponsor you, you're starting your business, you know you're not going to starve to death in a gutter, so you can, you know, become the next, next Jeff Bezos or whatever. And that's good. And so those people have positive freedom. And it might be the case that in our country, having sports betting available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, on a portable device that we carry around with us at all hours that can wake us up in the middle of the night and tell you, gamble, 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 uh, because it's your phone and it's surgically attached to your arm, might be dangerous. Dangerous in a way that offering blackjack at a casino on the outskirts of town uh, is not dangerous. It's uh, different. That It's well, categorically I'm, different. That We have to think about it differently. We have to think about, well, how many people will engage in this thing? More people. How many people will be unhealthy and engage in, in an unhealthy way, destructive way that ruins their lives and the lives of their families and friends and the rest? Too many. And that's, a, that's, a, that's something to think about. In well, the I, same way that we say you can't smoke cigarettes until you're old enough. I'm not denying there are tough calls to be made out there. I mean, you know, zoning laws, for example. Uh, having a slaughterhouse next door, uh, not, not a great Easy thing. Easy decision. Having a homeless encampment next door, maybe we don't want that either. Uh, seat, mm, tougher seat, decision. Seatbelt laws. I mean, you know, society isn't, isn't going to go down because people don't buckle their seatbelts. On the other hand, it's a pretty minor limit. Limitation right. on freedom. But I think the bottom line is unless there's a really, really good reason to limit somebody's freedom or to take their stuff, 
we should leave people alone and we should have resist the temptation to say, well, I really know what's best, you know, and the experts know what's best. Um, now, yeah, if we're I, saying all this, we're not going to legalize gambling. It's, no, we're it's, not. It ain't going to happen. And that's sort of the thing. I'm, I'm not arguing for some sort of puritanical anti-gambling stance. I just recognize that FanDuel and other companies have You're enormous— worried about people not getting enough sleep. Yeah, exactly. They have enormous power to push, and we should be resistant to the idea of these massive corporations saying, hey, I've come up with a new way to addictively extract more money from you uh, on our internet platform, and I'm going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg and destroy democracy again, but the gambling version of that, and we're all going to live in ruins, and Donald Trump will be president again somehow. I mean, that is the sort of thing I have to worry about— is these massive corporations exploiting, extracting money from individual people and abusing them with psychological tricks. I mean, I, uh, gambling is a great uh, example of this. In, in lots of places now, uh, loot boxes in video games where you get like a fancy colored skin uh, on the outside of your, your, your character's gun in the video game or your, your character gets to wear a different outfit in the video game. Those used to be contained in randomized loot boxes that you could buy for 99 cents or $2 or whatever else. And in a lot of places, that is outlawed. A lot of countries and some states in America, it's outlawed to have this because it's targeting children. And even when it's not targeting children to do what is essentially gambling, especially when there's a secondary market and you can open a skin uh, of a character you know, in a video game that's mm-hmm. worth thousands of dollars, and therefore it's literally gambling, even if there's no monetary value to the skins at all and it's just visual, you're still exploiting these kids who's brains are still developing and that's the sort of thing we have to think about is what what's the environment we're in are kids more susceptible to this thing yes but are adults susceptible to it too is it a better world when you just have alternate monetization schemes that aren't predatory and don't prey on the way our brains work? well we absolutely have plenty of rules to protect kids i mean True. you can't have joe camel advertise you can't have uh, fancy uh, candy uh, menthol flavors for, for your vaping even though it's illegal for the kids to have it yep hey it's time for america's favorite game show connor uh, guess the verdict where i give you the facts of a case and you guess the outcome are you ready for this I'm so ready. All right. This is the case of the skunk in the jury box. Okay. So there's a Bronx man who's convicted of murder. And in Fry part, him. In part, oh, wait, no. I'm in, against the death penalty. I take it back. I, he's from New York, and I'm from California, but uh, this time I'm going to take it back. Okay. So he was convicted in part on the fact that um, uh, as soon as he heard uh, a friend talking about the murder, mm-hmm. he immediately called his lawyer. Sure. So the guy who ended up getting convicted of this, evidence was presented to the jury that the defendant, who was later convicted, as soon as he heard, oh, there was a murder of Joe, uh, our defendant called his lawyer. That Mm. fact was included among the prosecution's presentation. Interesting. So he's convicted, and he appeals it, and the Court of Appeal in New York had to uh, address the question of whether that uh, evidence uh, tainted the conviction. So how do you think... The appellate panel in New York handled the case. Ooh, this is tough. So the rules of evidence <clears throat> are the way that judges look at a piece of evidence that a jury is to consider. And sometimes uh, it's easy and obvious uh, that you have uh, a gun found at the crime scene or a bloody glove found at the crime scene, and you want uh, uh, the jury to be able to look at the bloody glove and see uh, whether it fits uh, O.J.'s hand, right? 
Uh, and you can have OJ pretend that it doesn't fit and struggle, pretend to struggle and all that stuff. And it's all very theatrical. And that piece of evidence only came in to court and ended up in front of the jury because the judge said, piece by piece, every single individual piece of evidence, does this pass muster as what we would call um, uh, evidence? Um, in this case, what we're hearing is um, the testimony of somebody who said this person called somebody else uh, when I said uh, this thing or somebody else said something and then he said this. And as you're hearing me recount this in vague terms, you're hearing a lot of he said that he said mm -hmm. that he said, which is uh, a good way to identify hearsay. Hearsay is an exception uh, sorry, hearsay is a, a, a rule that says ordinarily statements made outside of court uh, uh, are not admissible to prove the truth of the thing said uh, outside of court because it's uh, no chance to cross examine the speaker. Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to if you're uh, say uh, there, there's a bank robbery and somebody uh, uh, a witness to the bank robbery sees somebody walk down the street and then a cop interviews that person later. And then the cop says uh, to the person, okay, what did you see? And they say, oh, I saw a man walking down the street with a case and a suit. A suit, a suit, wearing a suit, and he's holding a case. And the cop writes this down. And then later you put the cop on the stand, and the cop uh, is asked, okay, so what did, you, uh, what did the person say to you? And she says, uh, the cop says, uh, the, the witness said they were uh, holding a case and, and uh, wearing a suit. And you say, okay, uh, what kind of suit was it? And she says, oh, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not the speaker in this scenario. I'm just recounting what right. that person said. Oh, what kind of case was it? Oh, I have no idea. And the, you need to get the actual witness, the person who saw the guy walking down the street, on the stand, because otherwise it's hearsay. Otherwise, you have no opportunity to cross-examine this person and have them say, oh, yeah, it was a, 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 like a, a full-body jumpsuit, and it was a plumber's bag case with, with tools in it. It wasn't a guy walking out of a bank with a case full of money. It was totally different. Yeah, I saw him walking down the street, but he was, he was a, it looked like a plumber. Totally different. And that is why you need to be able to examine people who are accusing you of crimes. And that is why you need to uh, exclude evidence so that the jury never hears it. And that is important because the judge pre-screens everything so that the jury isn't tainted by evidence that eventually gets in front of them. Because some things worm their way into the jury's brain and are inextricable. And no matter how many times the judge says, hey, disregard the thing that the, uh, that the, the lawyer said there, uh, or disregard the thing that the witness said there, or disregard the piece of paper you saw earlier, uh, forget about it, don't consider it when you're making your decision, it might just be impossible to do that. And in this scenario, as we heard in this case, uh, this guy immediately picks up, his, uh, picks up the phone and calls his lawyer. Well, whoa, instantly you've got the law school hypothetical gears turning in your brain, thinking like a lawyer, thinking, well, what is calling your lawyer? That's constitutionally protected speech, because it's any kind of speech. You're, you're talking, that's speech. And then also, uh, you're, you're exercising your right to counsel. You're calling a lawyer who may defend you in a criminal matter. That's important protected speech. You might not want that to be uh, disclosed. And, and, and we also have protections where, where certain kinds of conversations with lawyers are, are not disclosed. They're protected as what's called attorney-client privilege. Uh, so you people aren't allowed to find out what you and your lawyer talk about. So there are multiple important legal concepts that are baseline in our society for creating the illusion that criminal defendants get a fair shake when in fact they don't. But at least you create the illusion of it, and that's something. Um, and they're all implicated here. And so on appeal, the arguments that these lawyers are making are in, in undoubtedly going to be along the lines of, hey, whoa, 
This creates the implication that my guy was somehow admitting to something, some sort of crime, and admitting to some sort of involvement in the murders because he called a lawyer to defend himself. That's not the society we should live in. We should instead, uh, when a, a, a criminal... Move to Canada? <laughs> yeah, exactly. When, when a criminal defendant says, uh, I want to talk to my lawyer, you should not be able to introduce that piece of his... Uh, a cop should not be able to stand up on the stand and say, I accused him of the murder, and he immediately said... I want to talk to my lawyer, and that made me suspicious that he had done the crime and therefore should do the time. And then they look at the jury, and the jury looks at the cop and goes, yes, I love cops. And that's a danger. That's what we don't want. We don't want that evidence getting in front of that jury who's so easily swayed. So I think in this case, uh, I'm going to be, be, be hopeful here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dream big and hope that this appellate court uh, looks at this scenario and says, yeah, that's a bell that can't be unrung. We've got to prevent uh, the jury from being tainted here by hearing this potentially prejudicial information. So, boom, mistrial, start over. You don't get to bring in uh, this piece of evidence that he called his lawyer because that's something that we think is sacrosanct. You know, a simple conviction reversed would have been fine there, Connor. <laughs> uh, did, did you take that time to work up the idea and, and assure yourself your conclusion was right? Yeah. Because you were right. Yes! Absolutely. We did it. The court overturned the conviction, saying the fact somebody invoked his right to counsel is not evidence of guilt. Court explained, if you throw a skunk in the jury box, you can't instruct the jury not to smell it. I'm not sure it's the most pithy. appropriate comment here. It, it is relevant, as, as you alluded Very to, pithy. but it's, you know, I love uh, it. it's pretty vivid. Yeah, so congratulations. I Thanks. think you're on a roll. You I am. That's three or four streak. in a row. Yeah, sure. Your Let's average is better than Shohei Otani's at this point. Well, he won 500 recently. That's pretty good. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think I'm He's 500. He's going to finish the season here. about 270, so you're way oh, above 270. Yeah, I'm above 270. Absolutely. Okay. All right, well, we have solved a lot of problems today. Uh, so gambling's good, yeah. religion's bad. <laughs> We're painting things with a kind of a broad brush. Broad brush but that's yeah. uh, how we roll here at Too Many Lawyers. See you next week. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.